0: Honestly, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. I'm Aaron Haggerty and I'm sitting down in the Shafas to record a podcast with my sister.
1: I'm Sarah Haggerty and I'm doing radio voice. Again, look, I'm going to take the piss out of you every time you do this.
0: I mean, I don't mean to do radio voice. I, I, know. Just, I just start on radio voice. But that's because you do a lot of radio ads. I mean, not a lot, but... <laughs> if if you work for a company and you want a voice <coughs> you can get onto my uh, yeah, vi- yeah, yeah. voice bank hire Aaron <laughs> gives a job gives a job there um, uh, we are an Irish storytelling company and we tell stories and we put them to live music or recorded music in the case of the podcast we do lots of live shows and we re investigate old stories and we retell them in lots of new different ways and it's exciting and we love doing it and it's been something we've been doing for years now. Mm-hmm. And we're getting alright at it. I think we're all right at it anyway. Yeah. Getting pretty good feedback. We do appreciate everybody who likes to come to our live shows. We have them in Dublin and Bray and all over the country, more and more. Which is great fun. And we're currently very, very happy to say that we've a number of patrons, patrons on Patreon.com forward slash Candle If well, you'd like to be calm, I know. That was
1: good. You got the whole thing out in one go. I was dicey. That yeah, was dicey.
0: That was a bit dicey. He
1: was, the kid was sweating like. On the edge. There was a bead of sweat. Nailed it though. Yeah, yeah, no, he got there. Nailed it. He got there. Yeah, it was Patreon.com forward slash Candle See, there you go. There he it is again. Yeah. Wow. It's tough. It's good. It's tough. It's good. It's a mouthful. Like. It the reason hard. we have to say it every time is because Patreon's search function doesn't always show us. So you need like type in the whole thing longhand or goggle us or goggle us goggle is good the
0: The old old goggle the old goggle box so without more waffle because we get to the waffle afterwards we tell a story and then we have a chat about it we'll have a chat about it
1: but like you know people can give us money or they can support us in a a non-financial way by telling their friends about us
0: yeah word of mouth spreads like wildfire totally that helps you know what that really does because we've gotten bookings this year from people telling other people about us and then getting bookings from people telling us about them or them about us I'm sure
1: that made sense but I'm not quite sure how and I don't really have time to parse it
0: alright it's time to tell a story now
1: oh yeah and that's on you oh yeah this is a good one
0: it's a good one I like this lad he's a good lad he's a good lad like good head and his shoulders there's a reason we remember him like like his mother before him oh jeez yeah 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 fair woman fair woman go on so take your alright
1: Cormac MacArth The High King of Ireland, Khan, died. Now sometimes when a High King died, the next High King was chosen by prophecy and sometimes when a High King died, the next High King was chosen by diplomacy and sometimes when a High King died, the next High King was chosen by war. And this time was one of those times. There were two contenders. There was Art, son of Khan, and there was Louis Mac Khan. And no diplomacy and no ritual could come between them, so they decided to meet in battle. On the eve of the battle, Art went to see a druid, Ulk Aka, and he asked Ulk Aka to look into the future and tell him what was to come. Did he have anything to worry about? Was he going to survive? Was he going to win? But Ulk Aka, he looked and then he looked at Art and he said The signs are not clear but tell me this How many heirs do you have to carry on your line if you should fall tomorrow? And Art said none and Ulk Aka said Listen My daughter Octon is unmarried go and talk to Octon maybe she'll help you out be nice so Art went to talk to Octon and he was nice to her and then she was very nice to him and they fell asleep together after they did a few other things first and in the night Octon woke from a dream she told Art the dream that she had dreamed while lying in his arms In the dream, Octon's head was cut off. But a shoot grew out of her severed neck. And it grew into a great oak tree that spread its branches all over Ireland. And it lived a good long time, sheltering and protecting the land until, after years and years, a wave from the ocean knocked it down. But from the stump of that oak tree... Another oak tree grew. And Art said, "Okay." And Octon said, Well, the dream means that you will die tomorrow because I have taken you as my husband and that means you're my head. So my head being cut off means you're going to die. But don't worry about that because we've conceived a child tonight and that child is going to be the High King of all Ireland. An oak tree, you see? "'Tree of Kings, that's what that means.' "'And Art said, "'Okay!' "'Like every man of his age, Art had no fear of death, "'only of being forgotten, "'and his name not being carried on by storytellers. "'And so he went off to the fight the next day, "'and sure enough, word came back that Art fell in the battle, "'and Louis Maccon became the High King. "'Now as for Octon, she was worried about the child that she carried.' She had her father, Ulk Aka draw four circles of protection around the child in her womb. Protection against fire, against blades, against water and against wolves. And then late in her pregnancy she decided to leave her father's house to go and stay with allies of art because she was worried that Louis MacCon might come looking for her and looking for the child she carried. She crossed the land. But the time of her birth came on her early and she had to crouch down by the side of the road with only one serving girl to tend her and give birth on the grass. And the second the child hit the ground there was a peal of thunder from the clear sky and everyone in Ireland heard it and everyone who knew the meaning of things understood that that meant that a king was born that day. Octon was exhausted for the long labour she'd been through and she lay down by the side of the road and she slept and she told her servant to keep watch but Octon woke up to a sleeping servant and the child was gone and the only trace there were the paw prints of a great wolf now Octon knew that her child was protected against wolves so she refused to believe that he was dead In fact she went on to Art's friends and she persuaded them to help her look for her son who she had already named Cormac Cormac MacArt And some of them humoured her and maybe some of them believed her but it was a hard thing for them to believe that a child could survive being taken by wolves an infant, a newborn even if the creatures hadn't destroyed him surely he'd have starved to death in the wilderness but Acton never gave up She put the word out and eventually, years later, a huntsman came to her, told her how he'd backtracked a she-wolf to her den and seen her pups playing there, and playing in among them, was a little golden-haired boy, and so Octon got her son back. Octon went north with her son Cormac, brought him up with another family, And one day when Cormac was playing, he pushed another youth down in the dirt and the boy cried out, it's a shame to be knocked down by a man who doesn't even know his own father's name. Cormac took this much amiss and went to his mother for the truth. And she told him, straight out, that his father was Art Son of Khan and he had the blood of high kings in him. And it was high time that he took his place. Cormac Magart went straight to Tara, to claim his seat, to claim his place before the world, to declare himself. He was a young man now, in his own mind at least. And he arrived at Tara, where there was a great crowd gathered, because a judgement was being given by the High King. One of his most important duties. And the High King, Louis Macconne, was judging a case of an old woman, who had a small herd of sheep and the case against her was brought by a great queen. The old woman's sheep had gotten into the queen's woad, a valuable plant that the queen had been growing. And the sheep, straying, had eaten all of it. And so Louis macon said, Well, the just thing here is to take the sheep from the old woman and slaughter them and give their meat to the queen. And everyone nodded their heads at the words of the king. The old woman had to pay something. But the old woman wept and pleaded for mercy because these sheep were the only things that she had her whole livelihood. And then a voice from the back of the room cried out and said, it should not be thus. It should be a shearing for a shearing. The woad will grow back. Shear the wool from the sheep. Give the wool to the queen. And that way the old woman doesn't have to be left destitute. For that's no kind of justice. Everybody who heard this thought this was the cleverest judgment they had ever heard. And when they turned around to see who was speaking, it was Cormac McArth himself. Now on the strength of just that judgment, word began to spread about Cormac. And Louis McCann was starting to get a little bit nervous. So he decided to go to Munster to drum up some support among his allies, forgetting the fact that he had once killed their champion, Owen Moore many years ago who was much beloved of Louis McCann's kinsmen more beloved it turned out than he so he got short shrift in Munster and had to turn around and come back to Tara but on his way he stopped at a place called Gortanore, which was a field where all the poets could gather to be given gold by the king as much gold as they needed to keep doing their work now Cormac MacGarth, being the clever sort that he was, knew that this would be a stop that Louis MacCon would have to make. And so he had asked a poet called Fridkus MacComan to assassinate Louis MacCon at the very place of Gortenor. And Fridkus waited until Louis MacCon was pressing a gold piece into his palm before driving a spear straight through his middle and pinning the king to the standing stone behind him. After Louis Macon was out of the way, Cormac might have thought that he'd just step neatly into his place and be the High King, but that was not to be. There were three kings in Ulster, and all of them were called Fergus. And one of them, Fergus of Fergus of the Two Black Teeth, well, he wanted to be the High King of all Ireland. And because he was already a king, already proven to be good at being a king he had quite a good claim so Cormac had to go back to Tara and had to work at his diplomacy but unfortunately for Cormac Fergus of Datuk bribed a servant to set Cormac's hair on fire at a feast and he was so shamed by that act that he had to go to Connacht he retreated to Connacht and he began to plot and he went to a druid named Taig and asked for his help in the killing of Fergus of Datuk, and gave him in return as much land as Taig could drive around in his chariot in a whole day, from sunrise to sunset. Because that was quite a bit of land, Taig said, OK, you need to go and find the champion, Louis Lava, and ask for his help. Now Louis Lava had a famous battle rage that came upon him during which he would not know friend from foe, and Cormac went and sought him out. He found Louis resting in a hunting booth and he poked a spear through the side of it, stabbing Louis Lava in the side. And Louis called out, who wounds me? And Cormac said, it is I, Cormac McArch. And Louis Lava then said, oh, well, that's all right, so it's right that you should wound me because after all, I killed your father. Now this was news to Cormac. He hadn't known who had killed his father Art in that battle long ago. But he thought fast, because now that he knew that, he knew that Louis owed him a debt. And he said to him, I will take as my Eric, as my death fine for the killing of my father, a king's head for a king's head. If you kill Fergus of Datok for me, I'll forgive you for killing my father, who would have been High King. And Louis Lava said that's fair enough. Now, the battle lines were drawn between the forces of Cormac MacArt and the forces of the Three Ferguses of Ulster. But Tig the Druid went to Cormac and told him to stay well out of the battle and particularly to avoid Louis Lova, whose famous battle rage might cause him to turn on Cormac and attack him. And so Cormac did just that. He left a servant on the sidelines dressed in his own clothes and told him to make sure that Louis Lova killed the right king of Ulster. Louis Lava's battle rage came upon him, and his rage was something to behold. He cut through the lines of the other men as if they were nothing, as if they were wheat before a scythe. He cut them to smithereens, and he cut his way to one of the kings of Ulster. And he cut his head from his shoulders and brought it back to the man he thought was Cormac Macart, and asked him, Is this him? Is this Fergus of Dathoc? And the servant said, No, that's the wrong Fergus. So Louis Lava went back into the battle even more enraged now, even more ferocious cutting a swathe through his enemies and friends alike until he came to a king of Ulster and he took his head from his shoulders in a single blow and then he brought it back to the man on the sidelines of the battle and said, is this the head of Fergus Dovdatok? And the servant said, no, that's the other, other Fergus. And Louis Lava went back into the battle. And this time, there was no standing against him. There was no escaping from him. Everything that moved, he cut down until he came to Fergus, Dovdatok and took his head from his shoulders. But so consumed by rage was he that when Cormac's servant confirmed that that was the right Fergus at last, he cut the man in two. ...and then collapsed on the battlefield where nothing was moving but crows. Cormac Magart became the High King of all Ireland. But there was a problem with this, because Cormac Magart was unmarried. And it was not a good thing in those days for a king to be unmarried. It meant there was no queen, there was no balance. There was only a king and not a queen, and it was like having half of a ruler to have a king standing alone. And so Cormac's advisers all told him to find a queen. And they brought him queens to meet beautiful women, intelligent women, graceful women. But none of them moved Cormac. And he always put them off and told them to wait. One day Cormac was out in the fields near Tara. And he came across a young woman who was working industriously and he noticed a strange thing about the way that she was working. He saw her milk a cow, and then he saw her separate the cream from the milk. He saw her gather reeds for the beds, and then he saw her go through the rushes and reeds and take out the softest and most supple and put them in a different pile. He saw her draw water from the river, and he saw her draw one bucket of water from near the bank. And then he saw her hike up her skirts and wade out to the deepest, coldest, clearest water in the middle of the stream and draw a second bucket from there. And he called out to her and he asked her, for whom did she make this division? And she said it was for one who deserved it. Cormac went away impressed. Impressed. And he came back the next day, intrigued by this woman, because he had to find out what her story was. The young woman, Ethna, the daughter of Dunlan, was the foster daughter of a man named Buket, and it was for Buket that she separated the cream from the milk and the soft reeds from the others, and got the clearest, coldest water from the middle of the stream. You see, Buket had raised her. And he had once been the wealthiest man in all of Leinster, which was the wealthiest province in all of Ireland. But Buket was not just wealthy, he was generous, generous to a fault. If you came to Buket's house and you complimented the shirt he was wearing, he would take it off his back and give it to you there and then. No one went away from his house. ...hungry or thirsty or tired or cold. He would give you anything and he would do anything for you. And most people loved his generosity and they responded in kind... ...but Esna had three brothers. And they were not so kind. And when they saw Bouquet's generosity, they saw an opportunity. And so they started coming around and they started complimenting everything they saw delighting in the fact that Bouquet would give everything away to them. And then they came and they started asking him for favours, small at first, and then when he did not protest, they got bigger and bigger and bigger, until Bouquet had given away almost all of his wealth, and all he had left was a tiny herd of cattle. And it was at that point that Ethna and Bouquet's wife demanded that they leave and go to Meath, ...and hide before Buket bankrupted himself entirely. And Ethna herself swore that she would take care of her foster father... ...for she had felt responsible for the predicament he was in. It was her own brothers, after all, who would pull these dirty tricks on him. Cormac was so impressed by Ethna... ...that he asked her to marry him there and then. This kind of dedication, this kind of eye for justice... ...was just what he thought he needed in a queen... But Ethna refused him. She told him that as Bouquet was her foster father, he would not be able to give her permission to marry. And in fact, if Cormac were to abduct her and elope with her, he would be insulting Bouquet so deeply that he would have to pay him a truly enormous bride price. Cormac was a bright lad, and he picked up what she was putting down. And so Cormac and Ethna eloped together, and Cormac gave Bouquet such a generous bride price for Ethna that he restored him to all his former prosperity, and more besides. The reign of Cormac Macartre was the most peaceful and prosperous and bountiful time in all of Ireland's long history. The rivers were so full of fish, you only had to reach a hand in and you would catch a fat salmon or a trout. The woods were so full of game that you could fire an arrow in any direction and it would hit something delicious. The woods were so full of growth that you could not walk through them and the crops were three times as abundant as they ever were before or since. He was a great king, and the land responded to a great king. And as time went on, and he had a son, Carbra, and a daughter, Alba, Cormac's life became more and more settled. The disputes he had to settle, the wars he had to fight in his youth... They were behind him and one day when Cormac was out walking past the walls of Tara it came to him that there was more of his life behind him than ahead of him and the silver in his hair was overtaking the gold and a kind of sadness came on him then as he began to think that there were no more adventures left for him nothing wondrous that he would ever experience again And then he saw a stranger coming towards him. A tall, beautiful man with a cloak that seemed to shimmer and shift colours in the wind and with sandals on his feet made of a gleaming material that was almost like silver and almost like gold, but not quite like either. And in his hand the stranger was carrying a silver branch with golden apples on it. And when he shook the silver branch, it made a beautiful melody that rang out through the woods. The stranger approached Cormac and called out a greeting. And Cormac responded in kind and then said to him, Shall you and I be friends? And the stranger said, Yes, I'd like that very much. Well, in that case, let us exchange gifts, as friends do. And the stranger said, All right, what would you like? And Cormac said, I'd like your silver branch, please. And the stranger agreed to give it to him in exchange for three promises. And without thinking, for he wanted that branch very badly, Cormac agreed and he took the branch from the stranger. Now the music in that branch was not only lovely, but it healed any sickness and any sorrow. Cast a healing spell for any who could hear it he was delighted to have the silver branch and he began to play about with it discovering that it could heal wounds as well and then the stranger said so for my first promise Cormac MacArthur I want to take your daughter Alba now Cormac was struck and Cormac was stuck because he was the high king and he had given his word and he could not go back on his word without disgracing all of Ireland and so he said all right and Alba was led away by the stranger and Cormac shook the silver branch and all who heard it stopped their weeping and lamenting A year later the stranger came back and asked Cormac for his son Carborough and again Cormac could do nothing he had to watch the stranger lead his boy away but when all about him started to weep and wail and lament he shook the silver branch and they were quiet and forgot their grief and then the following year the stranger came and this time asked for Cormac's wife Esna And as he saw the man leading his wife away, Cormac's hand reached out for the silver branch. But he withdrew it. And he said, this I cannot bear. And so he called his army and his fighters to come with him. And he set out to the gates of Tara to bring his family home. No sooner were they out the gates than a mist descended, and Cormac could neither see nor hear his men. He walked on into the unknown, and he walked a long time, until at last the mist cleared, and he saw before him strange sights in a strange land. He saw a group of men thatching a bronze house with white birds' wings. He saw a fountain with five streams, and a salmon swimming up and down and around each one of them. He saw a man cutting down an oak tree and feeding it into a huge fire that blazed up as hot and bright as the sun. And then the man would cut down another whole oak tree and throw it into the all-consuming flames. He walked through this strange place, until he came to a fine house and knocked at the door and it was answered by a lord and a lady who brought him in (sighs) they showed him a magical pig that had to be killed with an axe and cooked over a particular log and in the morning the pig and the log and the axe would all be whole again because this was Tirchangara the land of promise and here nothing was depleted and nothing lost now the pig that had to be cooked over the particular log could only be cooked if truth was spoken over it. And so Cormac exchanged stories with these strangers, this lord and this lady, as they waited for their meal to cook. And when it was time to serve it, Cormac paused. And he said, well now I'm the high king of all Ireland, and I cannot eat until my warriors are fed first. And they came with me, but they're not with me now. And so I cannot eat. And with that, all of a sudden, Cormac's warriors were standing behind him, as if they'd been there all along. He startled and jumped to his feet, and then when he looked at the Lord and the Lady, for the first time, he recognised the Lord. It was that same stranger, that same one who'd come to Tara with the silver branch, the same one who'd stolen his family away. And the stranger held up his hand to Cormac and said, Peace now. I am Mananon MacLear, and I brought you here to the land of promise to teach you a few things. Those sights you saw on your way here, the men who were thatching the roof with white bird's wing that blew away with every gust of wind, well, they are those who spend their time on appearances, but come to nothing in the end. That fountain with the five streams, and the salmon swimming among them? Well, that fountain is the source of all humanity, and those five streams are the five races of men. The same water, the same blood flows through all, and they are all connected, and there is no difference between them. And that salmon is the salmon of knowledge that never stops seeking and exploring. That fire you saw, that man you saw burning oak trees whole, that is the one who squanders his inheritance and leaves nothing behind for his heirs, who does not think of the future beyond his own needs and does not think of the land or what it needs. And Cormac said, well, that's all very well, but I'd like to see my family now. And Mananon MacLear said, of course. And I have one more gift for you besides that, Cormac MacGart. And with his words, Cormac saw his wife Ethna step out, and his son and his daughter. And Mananon MacLear took out a little golden cup, and he said, this cup will break any time a lie is spoken over it. And then he spoke a lie over the cup and it shattered into pieces. And then he said not only that, but it will reform if three truths are spoken over it. And he spoke these words. Your daughter Alba has not seen a man since she's been in the land of promise. Your son Carbra has not seen a woman since he's been in the land of promise. Your wife Ethna has not seen a man since she's been in the land of promise. and with that the pieces of the cup jumped up and reformed and it was whole again they feasted then and Cormac and his family and his warriors went back to Tara but Cormac carried with him the gifts of the other world and the wisdom of the other world and if his reign before then had been wonderful his reign after that time was incredible bountiful peaceful, and it seemed as if it would never come to an end. But of course it did, as all things do. Cormac stepped aside to let his son Carborough take the throne with peace. And he moved away from Tara to live at the house at Clety, and one day there, at a feast, Cormac choked on a salmon bone. For that was the wave that his mother had foreseen all those years before. Not drowning, or blade, or fire, or wolf took the life of Cormac Magart, but a tiny bit of salmon bone. After he died, Cormac's son Carborough searched high and low for the silver branch and the golden cup, those gifts of the other world that his father had used so well and so long. But they were nowhere to be found for Mananon MacLear had come and reclaimed them at the moment of Cormac's death. For wisdom cannot be inherited, but must be learned by each generation anew.
0: that really did come back to the fishbone. How did his mother remember? I mean, how did his mother you know, have the prophetic vision that he die of a fishbone? I guess She that's was
1: a druid's daughter.
0: Yeah.
1: I so, like how she interprets that dream. I love Octon's oh. interpretation of that whole dream. Where she's mm. just like, this means this, this means this, and this means this. In fairness, that is actually a detail that I changed. Because oh. um, in a lot of versions, of the story... Octon is a little bit, um, yeah, she's not given an awful lot of agency in that sequence. She's told by her father to sleep with Art and she has this really weird dream and she tells him and he tells her what it means. Hmm. And I like, I kind of like, I like it from Art's perspective because it's a guy who's like, well, I'm going to die tomorrow. So here I go and die, which is a very kind of Celtic warrior thing. But I didn't
0: buy it from Acton's perspective. Yeah, it removes all agency from her and, and totally. like yeah, being told what to and, do. And
1: really kind of takes her, disempowers her as like the Druid's daughter. Mm-hmm. Like it makes much more sense to me that she would be capable of yeah. interpreting dreams than that he would because she's the Druid's daughter. Yeah. Um. So that was a little kind of, yeah, I mean, I will do that from time to time. Uh, if there is a, if there's a significant man in a woman's life who makes a decision for her, hmm. I will generally reframe it that she makes the decision. I think I did the same thing in the Madeir and Attain story. Uh, Attain asks for a huge price for her hand from Medeir. And in one of the versions I read, that was her father asking for oh, that. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, again, it gives, you know, credence to the women in the stories that, you know, have been taking, taken away by, in fairness, the male... You know, yeah, Christian monks who are writing Twas, all these down.
1: Twas fellas wrote most of these down, so it's me retelling them and I like to Yeah, I mean it's also it also, to be honest, as a storyteller I prefer not having a lot of superfluous characters coming in and doing stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which doesn't apply so much in this story, but did in the attain one. Anyway.
0: So that's how Cormac died. It was an interesting little like bookend kind of note. It was nice to kind of tie it all together.
1: It's an interesting one for me because it's also like this is a kind of a warrior culture where the best death is like dying in battle. And it's because Cormac is sort of a semi-historical king like this is a figure that possibly existed. Mm -hmm. Um although I am no historian, nor ever have I claimed to be. This is a character who did not die heroically in battle. He died at a feast, choking on a fishbone. So it kind of, it's a way of sort of mythicising this very <laughs> ordinary death and making it into something that's kind of epic, you know?
0: Mythicise yourself there now. Make something into a good myth, mythicising. I like that word, now. Nah, that's good. Thank you. Making a cup of tea I this.
1: may or may not have just made it up right now but Boiled we will find kittle, out. the kettle
0: the kettle bubbled and mythically brewed the cup as of tea as it was
1: prophesied long long ago on the day of his birth. He would be smacked upside the head by his sister. <laughs> Ow. i okay. being facetious about prophecies. And you that, can't. See, danger,
0: respect. Danger, danger, danger. respect. Danger. Danger. Better respect. We've talked That's about all I'm this saying. before. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. Can't go with this magic, or else you'll get all magic done. You is that and before or after
1: this? Oh no, you're right. It was before. I <laughs> <Anyway>.
0: have
1: <laughs> a problem with the linear nature of time. Okay, you do, yeah.
0: In fairness, it's fine. Choose. Just stay in your mythic realm there and be. It's rad. all timey wimey. I just want to ask you yeah, a little bit about Cormac so because uh, you mentioned historic kind of figure. And okay, so our, our four cycles of mythology in Ireland. You have the mythological ancient story f- stories from the lower wall of the Book of Invasions. Then you have the Ulster Cycle, which most people are aware of, and the Fenian Athenia Cy- Cycle. And in the, the lesser known cycle is the King's Cycle. Yeah,
1: yep. Kings and the King Cycle is the one that kind of sort of shades into um, pseudo hist- histories and things like that, because you get people like um, Nile of the Nine Hostages. Who is meant to have been one of the ancestors of Brian Baru, mm-hmm. who was kind of our last, our last high king. Brian Baru, who was kind of our last high king, um, or attempted to be our last high king, and you then mean, got, didn't
0: work out great for explaining. Well, Australian.
1: he got his—he got a battle axe to the back of the head off a of Viking after a battle he won in Clontarf, um, but you know, uh, this is. This is where we're kind of starting to get to that that stage well, again, where it's yeah. getting a little bit muddy with facts. And for, for Cormac, Cormac is said to have been the one who codified the Brehen laws. Right, yeah. Which is a very interesting legal system, which we've talked a little bit about.
0: We have talked about it. Now, we did this show live in June and I was, I was telling it, uh, I told it with uh, Emmett Byrne, uh, an actor and... Uh, musician musician, storyteller from Dublin as well. Actually, no, he's he from, it's from a Leash. Goddammit, living in Dublin. But um, I performed that, and actually that night, you gave out to me because I kind of I I did. made I made the brand law kind of sound very fair and cool, and I was just you reading went, the room. You
1: went on like, this big spiel about how it was so very egalitarian, I didn't and everybody was equal anything.
0: before the law. You fucking I mean, did I, I I've alluded to it. I left it open for you did, interpretation. You absolutely it was did not. A little poetic license there, no? It you. was. So, Flavoured
1: Your uh, Unadulterated Flavoured Flavor, A little bit of a Do you know what I that flavour was? <coughs> that flavour A little flavour mm. That little taste mm. that, little, mm. that little bouquet mm. You're getting on the back yeah. of your mouth Yeah That is what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: yeah Because I'm I'm the only Hegarty Who would, do that. <laughs> who, who would ever bullshit Well
1: like As I As I said to you at the time There's a lot of cool things That you can say about the Breton Laws Without making shit up Fair and like, okay, so the reason that it's often referred to, and in fairness to you, it is often referred to as being a more egalitarian legal system than other legal systems in Britain or in Britain and Europe in the in the kind of Middle Ages. It was the, the legal system of the Gaelic lords. And it is a very different one. It's actually like in Ireland it's very interesting because they've never technically been repealed. Although we use common law. Um they, the Brehen laws are still extant. And there have been some court cases, apparently, that have been been won by people appealing to, to Brehen law. What? Yeah, yeah, No, it's like, it's a thing. Um, and it's, it occupies a really interesting place because, like, one of the things that happened when Ireland became independent uh, in, what was it, 1921 oh, or twenty two? Yeah, no yeah it was linear time. Anyway, Um, nearly 100 years ago, One of the things that happened was that there was uh, there was definitely an interest in kind of looking at the legal system and and maybe redefining it and and maybe changing it. But one of the things that happened was that our departing former rulers took all of the cash. So the newly formed Irish state was completely broke. And we had not a penny.
0: Hence to of rail anything. things, the rail got shut down. The trains. Oh yeah, got yeah! Like we closed. had all
1: of these advanced rail systems and public transport systems that were functioning really, really well, and they were just completely shut down. So, like, we had no money. We had no money for this kind of exploration and redefinition of the legal system. So we kind of had to limp on with what the institutions that had been set up under colonialism, which is great. It has worked out so great for everybody. Nobody has ever had any problems again.
0: And the church was given loads of power, which also worked out great. Yeah, they were given
1: so much power to fill in all of the gaps that the fledgling state could not cope with, which also worked out so, so great.
0: Fast forward 100 years, nearly. Just grand. great. We're
1: grand. Everybody has housed, fed,
0: clothed. Public. Yeah, the health system's great. Oh, public
1: health system is system so good. Mistake, yeah, yeah. yeah. Our politicians are just like... Sound. So sound. Sound bunch of lads. And lassies.
0: And lassies. I, I use lads as, as, a, as a, a, true. a gender neutral true, term. True, true, true. Now go on to lads.
1: But it's, it's, it's worth clarifying. I mean, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, you saw that I hence we've never had any problems ever again ever yeah, since. It's open door um, for
0: us to make lots of art and um you know, I'm fine with it. I'm okay <laughs> with it. <laughs> hmm I mean anyway. <clears throat> we're not ever talking about politics in this podcast. So
1: don't you fucking hold me to that. <laughs> I'll go on a political rank, rant if I feel like it.
0: So I just but steer I don't you back to the feel like there. it today.
1: So we're gonna talk a little bit about the Breton Loth. So you. those institutions were all kinda of carried over with Interesting results, which you can talk to an historian about because that is not my job.
0: A historian. An historian.
1: It's an historian.
0: An historian. That's how you say an it. An historian. An historian. An historian. <laughs> an historian. I, I don't know. It sounded weird. It sounded weird. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> it was weird.
1: That's how it's a, written.
0: An historian. An historian. So <laughs> go for a, an historian. Go talk
1: to an historian about that.
0: Yeah, or a historian. <laughs> whatever you want. Go find an historian and uh, have yeah. a
1: chat with them. Go find an historian. Yeah. So, um, and then eat an orange. An orange. Technically, actually, that is what really that was. Class. Oranges used to be called oranges. Oranges. But everyone said an orange, and people said, "Oh, orange." Anyway, there's a word for that, and I can't remember what it is. So, what are we on? We're talking. Is it <laughs> We're talking about why the Breton laws were great.
0: Oh yeah, that was and that was super fair the beginning and of equal, the- and no. women had told. No, no,
1: bad Aaron, <laughs> sit down.
0: I he got slapped. No, he didn't. Yeah, you slapped my leg. It's a slap.
1: Do you want to slap? No. <laughs> just like for contrast.
0: I don't want to slap. Carry no, on. we
1: don't advocate violence here at Candlelit Tales. Um, however, sometimes people need to wish so I can make a point. So. <laughs> the Brand laws were not egalitarian. What they did have was that women had rights. They didn't have equal rights to men at the time the Breton laws were written down, but they had a status under the law. And throughout most of Europe in the same period, women didn't have any status. Mm-hmm. Women were either owned by their fathers or by their husbands, which is why women change their surnames when they get married. It's a terrible tradition and I have a serious problem with it. But everybody is free to choose and do whatever they want. Cool. But anyway, Um, no politics. So the Brehan Laws, the reason the Brehan Laws, I think, were particularly interesting is that this was a system that functioned without police and without prisons. If you can just, like, think about that for a second. How incredibly different a system you're looking at. Yeah. And the reason for that was that these these laws were... There's a term today that's kicked around a lot that's called restorative justice. Right. And the idea is that instead of punishing a wrongdoer, which is the system that we have now... Punitive. Punitive justice. You uh-huh. you send someone to jail, you punish them, you, you harm them.
0: Which really doesn't seem to work very well, does well, it?
1: Well, it, it leads to extremely high recidivism rates, but the... Residivism so what rates? Right? people committing a different crime after they get out.
0: No, I just wanted you to say the word again. <laughs> recidivism. The brilliant word. I mean, it, it, it's actually terrible. It leads, you know, the movie Michael inside is, 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 is a graphic and brilliant depiction of that exact thing, actually. Uh, but also a great word.
1: Yeah, so it leads to these high recidivism rates and you have huge problems with overcrowding in prisons. We have huge problems with that here. Mm-hmm. And you also have huge problems with, you know, Conditions in prison becoming very, very bad, especially when overcrowding happens. So the idea that there was a civilization that functioned here that did not have police and prisons, I think is a fascinating one. I think it's really interesting to explore. Now, one of the reasons that it worked that way, and one of the things that's different between that system and the common law system is that in the system that we have now. Everyone is considered equal before the law in theory. Now, in practice, it doesn't work that way. Because in practice, the kind of legal representation you can afford has a huge effect on the actual outcome. Yeah, of course. But in theory, everybody is equal before the law. And that is why justice is depicted as being blind. Also, people are held individually accountable for their actions. Now, Ireland had a clan-based system which meant that you were not individually responsible for your actions.
0: The clan was.
1: The clan was. Mm. The extended family was.
0: And that's, again, goes looking at how to raise kids. I was playing with my friend's kids this morning, you know, out in in Galway. And my God, they're just mental. But they just need so much attention and care. and, And like, you know, their aunt was in, I was in, the granny was calling over. Like, but, and that's just not enough. There there needs to be a whole load yeah. of people around these kids to, to raise them. And, and, and then the moral coding and all that and blah, 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 blah. So that that is in that code and clan system. You can see yes. how that. Will and
1: you, you didn't have the, the thing that we have today in, in so many cultures where it's a nuclear family. Yeah. Where the mother and father are wholly responsible for the, the actions and the raising and the conditioning of their children. It happens in a much wider context. Which, like... I can definitely understand how some people would hear that and go, Oh my god, that sounds awful. Have you met my mother in law? Yeah. Like yeah, 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 you know, there's there's obviously it means that you have less control over the outcome, but also it means that the work of actually raising the children and teaching the children is very much more distributed. And uh yeah, the kids grow up understanding that their behavior reflects on their clan. And that was the way that the Breton Law system worked. It worked by Uh, fining people for wrongdoing.
0: Mm.
1: And one of the really interesting things and one of the ways in which it was very explicitly not equal was that the higher your status, the higher your fine. Now that is effectively the opposite to the way our legal system works. Because even though our legal, legal system is theoretically treats everybody equally, if I can afford a very, very good lawyer and you can't, I will get a lighter sentence than you for the same crime. And like we all know there's so much, you know, unconscious bias that goes into things. There's so much implicit bias that we're not aware that we hold ourselves. You know, people from poorer backgrounds get harsher sentences. Um, People with certain accents and certain addresses get harsher sentences. People from the traveling community here in Ireland get harsher sentences. You know, you have all of this stuff that is because we pretend to be rational and disinterested and able to treat people without bias, so much bias creeps in and gets built into the system.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas when you actually realize that, like, okay, people's circumstances are not equal, people's behavior has a context around it. And, hey, if you're a billionaire and you steal somebody's wages, you have no fucking justification for that. No. And so you should have a much harsher sentence than the person who's trying to feed their family yeah, yeah, yeah. who steals the same amount of money.
0: Well, there's there's uh, The uh, ideology of a lot of that stuff is very, very uh, worthy and, and worth kind of highlighting. And that's kind of why, you know, in June I, I, I posited a, a light sentence of it being, you know, starting with Cormac in a more idealistic form. Obviously then life happens and it becomes unequal or the world happens and it becomes a lot less equal. But the idea of women having more... Not fully equal, but definitely more. Well, they had a status. Yeah.
1: They had a status. And like, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting as for us as Irish people to look back, you know, past our kind of more recent Catholic tradition to older traditions. You know, we had a we've we've had a quite a contentious time in Ireland around the rights of women over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Divorce only became legal in this country in the 80s. And we recently had another referendum to shorten the period of separation because for a long time, divorce was legal only after you'd been separated for four years, which is a hell of a long time. Uh, We have quite a low divorce rate in Ireland because it is just not culturally something that people are massively interested in doing um, unless, you know, necessary and Mm -hmm. it's very necessary to have. But under Brehan law, divorce was absolutely allowed. And women could divorce their husbands. Women could divorce their husbands for beating them, mm-hmm. which is just, just a thing obvious. that should always be I allowed mean, to do. If anybody hits anybody, toy. um, like yeah, that was allowed. It was allowed for um, it was allowed for women to divorce husbands who were impotent, because Fair if enough. they, you know, that was that was another thing that they were they were just straight up allowed to do
0: not being satisfied. Your man's actually n- no,
1: yep, grand. out and and also um. You know, there is a there is a tradition in Ireland or there is supposedly a tradition in Ireland. I don't know how historically accurate any of my stuff is, but there is one that I remember telling our mother about actually. She thought it was the best idea she'd ever heard because we used to have a tradition here called hand fasting where you would get married for a year. And that involved the couple declaring that they were hand fasted in a, in a public place. And then they would be married for a year. And if... At the end of that year, they decided not to stay married. There was... They they kept their own property. Uh, They kept their own property anyway. Yeah. That was actually another thing. People's property was not
0: combined when they married. Seems to be like the main reason people get married now anyways is cheaper. Like, (laughs) what the fuck?
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry
0: there now, but like, really? You're just like encouraged to get married in order for it to be less paperwork. Like, Mm -hmm. ah, for fuck's sake. Which is what involves more paperwork to get fucking married in the first place. Anyway. So no.
1: yeah, there's a whole interesting thing about that, and like, if if somebody happened to get pregnant during that year, that was that was also that child was not considered to be illegitimate. That child was considered to be like the issue of a of a, a yeah, temporary yeah, yeah. marriage. They yeah, weren't of kind of penalized for illegitimacy. I love
0: that idea. That's a great idea. In fact, my mother even told me. I, you know, she told me recently. Was it last year? A couple of years ago, uh, fairly recently in my adult life, anyway, <laughs> um, relatively, that she married our father, and they agreed every year that they stay married. They had a little ritual. They go, "All right, are we going to stay it's married?" It's every 5 years. No it is. It was every year. It
1: was every 5. Oh, it was
0: every, every year. For, for no, no, when
1: they when 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 our mother proposed to our father. Your
0: hey, mom, you're listening to this. Was it yeah, a yeah. year or something? She can correct years?
1: us. When when she proposed well, to our it dad. It was let's try it for 5 years. When
0: she proposed to our dad. Yeah. No wonder where we are. Where, the way we are. Way to go, Tony. You're not listening to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just like, yeah. Yo. You know what? Um, He's probably not listening to us. No, no. Um, hang so on anyway, a second. Anyway, we've gone a bit of. That is
1: a bit of a tangent, but listen. That's that was that is an idea that I think is a really like it's an interesting idea. But that's part of the Bretton Law stuff, and that's that's kind of. So Cormac yeah.
0: started it. The, I did well, want to talk no, about this. Cormac okay. codified it. Codified it. Codified it. This
1: is something that was already. And in existence. Absolutely, He's just kind of And like, actually, you see it in the story because where he goes to um the champion, uh, Louis Lava, mm-hmm. and says a king's head for a king's head, that's an example of of an Eric, which is a death fine.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And we had another example of that in the story of the Sons of Turn. Oh, yeah. Who go off getting the all of these fabulous treasures for um for Lou, as an Eric for killing his father. That's a great crack which was way back.
0: You know, I guess what we were doing. did a whole new recently, very recently. Um, now, I do want to ask you about one character in this, and it's Mananon McLear. So, just briefly want to touch on this, because Conor Rock great king, he was a good king for a long time, and then he went off to the other world, he was basically lured by Mananon MacLear, to go experience the other world, see these mad sights, kind of learn some, you know, basic enough stuff. It doesn't seem overly... Oh, profound stuff. I mean, it seems basic enough, like, but yeah, yeah we but very like, profound. Like, yeah.
1: old, like old profound things, it's, it's very simple when you actually just reduce <laughs> no, it and state it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay, so he, he explores the other world, gets this profound kind of deliverance of I, I, message and then meets Manon Mclear, gets given these, you know, the branch and the cup and comes back. Manon, what's the story with Manon Mclear?
1: So that's an interesting question because there isn't one. Right. There is no story where Manonon MacLear is the main character. Nope. I looked. Yeah, I looked too. But he comes up in all of the cycles. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is interesting. I didn't find this out until recently. He's not always considered to be part of the Tuatha Dé Danann. He's considered to be older.
0: He's outside, like
1: he's outside of everything.
0: Because he's again, some people have thought he was Manannan MacLear, son of Lear, as in Children of Lear. But nope, nope, not the uh, son for those of who are
1: for those who are not Irish and have not grown up with the Children of Lear. We'll get to it at some point. But anybody, most people in Ireland, it's one of the ones that they would know very very well. Mm. Um, but no, Manannan MacLear means the son of the sea. Um, this is a this is a form of yeah, this is a linguistic thing. Um. But yeah, Manadon the son of the sea, he is, he is associated with the sea and he has this cloak that shifts colours and he rides out on his horse uh, or on his chariot across the waves as if they were land. And he has a boat called Wave Sweeper, which the Sons of Turin managed to borrow off him uh, back in episode 12, and if anyone
0: wants to go listen to that. He's a sword called the Answerer.
1: Yeah, Fragirthog, the Answerer. I love that. I love that that is like a name of a sword. Whatever the question, I've got the answer right here for you. Yeah. Uh, you know? So and, he's but also... He's, he's, he's kind of like, he's kind of a trickster figure.
0: So he's a trickster figure, which is great. But he's also the like the foster father of Lou, who we talked about mm-hmm. recently as well. Um,
1: he's quite important in the Lou story because he, he's the one who, uh, in some versions, he's the one who who plucks Lou out of the waves. In other mm. versions, it's, it's Bommel the Druid. Uh, but he he's one of the ones who teaches Lou a lot of stuff in right. his kind of early childhood.
0: Again, Lou, the father of Cullen, all of this is oh, yeah. previous um, podcast material. But i just kind of like wanting to cement him as a very very strong, but yet outside of the kind of the family trees here. Yeah. and he crops up in all the, the all of the things.
1: Well, he crops up in all of them because he crops up like in in so in those four cycles that you mentioned. You know, he he's his father of Lou. Or foster father of Lou in the kind of mythological cycle. He also is one of the ones who like helps the two of the Danon in the battle against the sons of Mill. Yeah. Um in the Ulster cycle, he is um
0: He crops up in the He thing.
1: crops up in the Ulster cycle because Kukulin falls in love with his wife, Fond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the only jealousy of Emer, which is a great story. I don't think we've told that many yet. Not yet. Ooh. Uh he comes up in the Fenian cycle. Um I can't remember the specific story that he comes up in the Fenian cycle. He comes up in the in the voyages. The voyage of Bran is a yeah. great one.
0: Yeah. Um, he's on the way. He's on he's on his horse, and he points Bran in the kind of wrong direction. Or is he the one who shakes the the branch? He of him gives him
1: the silver branch. Yeah. in yeah. that yeah. story, and he tells him. Uh, he basically gives him a kind of a way of seeing the world differently. That was, mm-hmm. that was Moriarty's kind of way of looking at it. That the Silver he, like, Branch
0: perspective, that's right. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes,
1: yes. And, and uh, Sandy Dunlop often talks about that. He's, he's one of the founders of the Bard mythologies. Um, and like this, this way of seeing differently because he kind of says to them, look, you see waves. I see a grassy plain.
0: Mm.
1: Um, you know, this is, this is the other world. There, there are other ways of seeing the world. What your eyes show you is not the full truth. Which is a really interesting, like,
0: encounter. Simple and profound in the same sentence.
1: Yeah. So, like, that's... Yeah, he's this really fascinating figure who is kind of hard to pin down. Although he does hang out in Tirtiangara and Moimel. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And we will get to him a bit more. I think we'll be doing more on well, we'll be doing more podcasts and he's, he's bound to crop up. And if you yeah. have any more information about Manon McLear, well, let us know. There's um, loads of information out there and we'll be finding more and doing more stories as we keep on going.
1: Yeah, this and you can uh, you can support us in that by going to patreon.com forward slash as a smooth little segue there. Nice. And we, we will be putting up more uh, rewards for Patreon supporters. Uh, you can find out more about our upcoming shows and all of the stuff we're up to by going to our website uh, which is www.candalletales.ie
0: By the time this uh, will have come out we'll have just done a bit of a tour down to Cork and uh, Kilkenny and the Boyne and we've just finished a show in uh, Wheelands, which is Grey Crack all that was great fun we'll be coming back with you with more dates coming up of our live shows if you want to see those you know go on to our Facebook or Instagram you can book or Tickets or buy them things, and if you want to just listen to these, if you're across the sea, if you're not uh, in Ireland and want to uh, see us, well, you know we also accept flights across continents. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, Intercontinental as, yeah, flights and in hotel
1: do, rooms, yeah. we would be uh, delighted.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. but the easiest thing to do is if you want to support us, is, is go to the Patreon page, yeah, Patreon.com. That's, that's
1: one of our goals on Patreon. Forward slash international tour. we know how much it will cost yeah it's expensive
0: anyway um, (laughs)
1: but if everybody gave just a little bit it wouldn't cost very much at all so thank you once more to all those
0: who are our patrons it's a huge uh, you know lovely thing that you're doing for us even if it's a small amount we really appreciate it there's
1: no such thing as a small amount
0: no there's not Uh, I'm always very excited to come into the Shafis and have a chat with my sister about mythology yeah, because you know what we, we were doing this for years anyway years to and be eventually honest eventually
1: this was this was kind of usheen was the one who gave us the idea for like what to do in the podcast because yeah. he was just like I always record you chatting it's great crack just do that do that so that is this is our attempt to just do that yeah uh, sorry that was my chair speaking
0: uh, that you've heard a number of times has been sort of on her look just in case you're wondering what the hell that was, uh, well look, so that's listen, us.
1: That's us. Social media, Candle of Tales, on all of the social medias. This podcast was produced and edited by Ursheen Ryan. Story this time was by told by me, sarah Heggarty, but was again a work of many hands here in Certainly. Candle of Tales. And the music was by Ursheen Ryan. So yeah,
0: so uh, Oshin, get a in legend.
1: touch, and, right. and we'll talk to you soon.
0: You.